Welcome to the Texas Values Report. My name is Nicole Hudgens and I'm the policy analyst for Texas Values. We're the largest statewide organization focusing on faith, family, and freedom. We encourage you to go to our website at txvalues.org where you can find out how we've been advancing faith, family, and freedom uh, through the courts, at the Capitol, and through the media. So thanks so much for tuning in. I'm actually subbing in for our president, Jonathan Sines, and I'm excited to report that I'm not alone. No, we- no, no, no. <laughs> We've got our comms director, Andy Hogue, our communications director, Andy Hogue, yeah. who's sitting in, in the studio. Andy, this is going to be fun. That'll be great. You know, they started saying comms about five years ago, and now everybody says comms, but um, okay. yeah, but I don't know. It's just a thing. See, and that's yeah. why you're the expert here. That's right. <laughs> On communications. <laughs> I could tell you all about comms. Yes. And- Dot comms and communists. <laughs> Hopefully not. Yeah. <laughs> well, Andy obviously does our communications work, including our social media. Uh, he helped us with tracking legislation during the legislative session. Still waking up. I still need my coffee. Did Did you have your coffee this morning? Oh, I don't drink coffee. Really? Yeah. I'm, I'm one of those uh, weird people that just uh, saw what it did to my friends in the afternoon. And I thought, you know, I don't really want to adopt <laughs> that habit. And then I was poor during college and I just never got into it. I was so busy. So work, so busy working for Faith and Family in Texas. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I've there never had go. a second to do anything but just bottled water that the, the bridge gives us here for free. <laughs> hey, well, we certainly appreciate the bridge and all the work that they're doing and helping um, produce this show. And they're certainly so encouraging to be around. I really enjoy being around them. Yeah, we're blessed to have a strong Christian presence on the radio here in Austin, Texas. Yes. I mean, people think about Austin and they think about it being a lost a lost cause, a, a Democrat epicenter, but really there is a strong conservative Christian presence here in town and, and the bridge is certainly a blessing to help uh, organize us. And You know, it kind of reminds me, Nicole, um, I'm, <laughs> I've made Texas my career. I know you've worked in Washington, D.C. You're going to the March for Life here next week and I think it's great that you have a D.C. experience. But, man, Texas is my world. I mean, I, I had my honeymoon here in Texas. I've, <laughs> I've only worked in Texas. But really, I mean, it's a diverse place. I mean, we've got Austin right here. And right across the county line, we have Georgetown, which is um, just as conservative as Austin is liberal. Um, wow. And you know how Texas is. You know, it'll be 100 degrees in um, um, Brownsville one day and then um, below freezing in the panhandle the exactly. same day. So I just I love Texas. It's its own little country. And I am so thankful to work with you to keep this country of ours uh, free and um, God-fearing. That's right. That's right. Well, I mean, as you said, after working in Washington, as Texas goes, so goes the rest of the nation, especially on the values issues. When we advance the line, when we pass a strong pro-life bill, a strong pro-marriage bill um, in D.C., they talk about it because that is where the standards set. We set the standards for, for the nation when it comes to those issues. So, obviously very important. And we've we've got some exciting news. Uh, as many of you know, we have our C3, which is Texas Values. And then we also have a C4, which is Texas Values Action. It allows us to endorse candidates. And we just sent out, actually, Andy just sent out a press release yesterday talking about how we have endorsed the challenger for Sarah Davis. Uh, Sarah Davis and and course, I'm talking about the GOP primary that's coming up on March 6th. So if you're not registered to vote, be sure to register to vote um, by February. Really important election coming up. 
But Sarah Davis, as we saw during the legislative session, really was promoting, um, I, I remember one specific bill was allowing minors who had had a child uh, to access birth control, any type of FDA-approved birth control without any parents knowing. Hmm. So major violation of parental rights. And it's important to know that these many forms of birth control that are listed on the FDA's website uh, come with a lot of risks. And so the thought that minor girls would be having full-on access to this without any parental input is dangerous. And um, so in addition to that, she's she does not have a pro-family record at all. As a matter of fact, I think she has the worst record on our Texas Values Action scorecard. So we endorsed her opponent, Susanna Docupil, um, candidate for Texas House District 134, challenging Sarah Davis. And actually looking at our press release, Sarah Davis scored 3% on our Texas Values Action scorecard, meaning... Yeah. That's one point lower than Victoria Niave, who's a very liberal Democrat. Right. Not a good record there. We're encouraging uh, those in House District 134 to vote for Susanna Docupil. She was a former assistant solicitor general for the office of the attorney general of Texas. That's, that's a pretty good resume right there. She has yeah. the support of Governor Greg Abbott and is enjoying a widespread of growing support from conservative voters in the Houston area. That's right. And she knows her district. She was vice chairman of the Harris County Republican Party. Really? So, yeah, she definitely is you know, in touch with the grassroots, not just the political caste. I want to add before we, we continue on, we've actually added some new endorsements. If you want to see our endorsements, you can go to txvaluesaction.org. That's txvaluesaction.org. We're updating this list weekly. So we've got endorsements for Brent Lawson for the House District of 62. That's an open seat. Um, Armin Mizani for Texas House District 98. And he is challenging uh, Representative Giovanni Capriglione who scored 76 on the Faith and Family scorecard. Uh, We've endorsed Jared Patterson for House District 106. That's an open seat. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chad Carnahan for Texas House District 102, challenging Representative Linda Koop, who scored 60% on the scorecard. Uh, Matt Beebe for Texas House District 121. Yeah, Beebe, by the way. Beebe, thank you. (laughs) You might, actually, Nicole, uh, you might remember him. He took on Joe Strauss before. So he's pretty well known around San Antonio and I think could have been a a celebrity in our little country here if he uh, would have (laughs) won. There you go. So please pay attention to that race for sure. And then we've also got um, some judges. Michelle Slaughter for Court of Criminal Appeals, place Mm 8. Jim Pickle for Fifth Court of Appeals, place 12. Yes, good, good candidate. And Chris Hill for Collin County Judge. And mm-hmm. if you want to know more of who we've endorsed, because the, these are just the the recent, this is the recent release of endorsements that we've made. But we have a long list <laughs> at txvaluesaction.org. Right. And some people are raising their eyebrows at why a statewide organization is getting involved with uh, county judge races. But you've got to understand that uh, some counties have, in Texas, have a bigger population than some states. So mm-hmm. think about that when you go looking at your local ballot. Pay attention to your local races. That's right. That's right. So, again, we encourage you to look at th- look at this. The primary is on March 6th. That's coming up really quickly. So if you're not registered to vote, be sure to register to vote. Maybe you're living in the same county, but you moved houses. You still need to re-register to vote. Right. This is going to be an important race, the GOP primary. Um, and as we know, after having worked during the legislative session, 
Every vote counts because every member in the House and the Senate are making decisions that are going to determine where Texas stands on family issues. Oh, yeah. And we've had some really close votes, especially on amendments during the budget process and Mm -hmm. things you might not think about. So every vote does count. Uh, We need all hands on deck. Yes. Yes. Well, moving on, we've got some exciting news that's happened in Texas. Andy, you want to explain what's been happening with FEMA? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) This is great, exciting news for, for Houstonians. Yeah. I'm thinking about the future here, but in the here and now, we actually have a victory to celebrate, and it involves the federal level of government. And, of course, President Trump has been wonderful in um, helping change the tone. He's made some great friends in the first year in office, and we're very excited to have him as an ally. But FEMA reversed their discriminatory policy on churches. Now, um, what I mean by that is they weren't just um, saying, okay, if you're a church, you don't qualify for uh, flood insurance. But what they were saying is that um, in the case of, let's say, a highway tabernacle, a church in the, the Houston area on the way to Houston anyway that opened their doors as a FEMA shelter in an operations center. Um, now, that's a lot of people coming in day in, day out. You've got to have people staffing the shelter. You've got to pay for supplies, uh, the wear and tear on the building. Meanwhile, I believe their sanctuary was underwater. Wow. So, yeah, they still opened up as a um, disaster relief center with the expectation that, as has been done in the past, a church would get reimbursed for, um, you know, the wear and tear and everything and uh, staff time. No. The Obama administration had a policy that uh, had a certain criteria about how religious a church could be before it qualified for, yeah, it was some kind of ratio involving how much their their um, budget went toward nonprofit causes and how much went to actual, um, you know, compassion projects. And uh, that, that's none of the federal government's business. And I believe what underscored that, at least uh, according to the Houston Chronicle, um, Erica Greider, remember that name? Uh, she uh, worked for Texas Monthly. She wrote an excellent op-ed titled, FEMA's new policy on churches makes sense. Right. <laughs> and to see the liberal media. Now, Erica calls herself a fiscal conservative, so I'll give her some credit there. But but to hear her say that this policy makes sense, this reversal of this awful, awful policy that told Highway Tabernacle, no, we can't reimburse you for opening your doors to us. Well, fortunately, Highway Tabernacle was patient and still allowed FEMA to do their thing, and they still had a shelter in place. But um, I believe uh, what happened was... Um, the federal government um, looked at this uh, uh, Lutheran Church of Columbia versus Comer. Remember that case? Yeah, that uh, was the Trinity Lutheran case. Yeah, um, Trinity Lutheran. Yeah. That the the Supreme Court ruled on um, basically that that churches couldn't be discriminated against. In that case, it was um, they had a the church had a preschool and the preschool had a playground that and they applied for a grant that was given to that was available to anyone um, to you to have reused tires as part of the I guess you'd say the flooring or what the kids would walk on so so that it wouldn't be hard hard ground yeah, and you'd fall and you'd bounce right right yeah. <laughs> something <laughs> like theory, that yeah. no but but they were denied because they were a church and so you know similar case here with what the Obama administration did you know just because you're a church you can't be involved in this program and like you said that's discrimination and I know our organization uh, worked oh that's right, Andy. Thank you so much for for handing me the article. That's right, Trinity Trinity Lutheran. The vote on the Supreme Court was actually decided seven to two. Mm-hmm. That's a great vote on the Supreme Court. I mean, those, seven to two. That means we've got some liberal judges yeah. who were voting in favor of not not just Kennedy. <laughs> yeah, not just Kennedy yeah. being the swing vote. This this was a a great decision, and when it comes to you know we've got Texas churches who are so involved with with the relief efforts for Hurricane Harvey, but 
churches are in it for the long haul. You know, you've got some great groups and great people who were able to come in right after the storm. But these churches are a part of the community. So they're going to be in it for the long haul. And they're not just they're helping with Harvey relief, but they're also the ones who help with the homeless. There are those who help with um, so many people who are in need. And so uh, we don't want to discriminate against these churches, especially when they're doing so much of the work. Right, and Highway Tabernacle, especially, it, it's a, uh, it was, it's in uh, on the, well, it's on the highway, as the name suggests. <laughs> it's in Cleveland, which is a, uh, uh, it's an exurb of Houston. I'm not going to call it a suburb. It's, it's out there, <laughs> but it's on the there way. And uh, it's certainly not a church with a lot of financial resources. It's got a pretty good uh, um, attendance, but um, they needed every bit of reimbursement they can get. And for the um, um, the federal government to say, no, you're just not our kind of church, that's uh, that's discrimination. And fortunately, right. the Trinity Lutheran case mm-hmm. paved the way for the uh, federal government to reverse this. So thank God. Um, another reason why we need, uh, you know, good, uh, you know, family values conservatives in Congress mm-hmm. to help um, s- staff our federal courts to, to um, approve the judges that uh, President Trump appoints. And, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I know that you know, like I said, our organization signed on to a letter with First Liberty Institute asking for the Trump administration to change this federal policy. And then last week we had the Beckett Fund on. They were actually uh, filed a lawsuit on behalf of some churches because of this policy. And I think everyone working together really helped with making sure that that policy was changed. So That's some right. really exciting news at the federal level that obviously impacts Texans. So Great news there. Uh, some news com- happening here at the state level. We ha- there is a free speech interim hearing coming up uh, on January 31st. Our organization uh, will be there. You know, it's interesting, Andy, free speech issues. You know, certainly I've been aware of them. What I found out recently, though, is that there have been so many cases, um, certainly in California, but I've even heard of Texas Texas cases uh, a few years ago where, you know, pro-life groups are being punished on campuses and not allowed to talk about pro-life issues in free speech areas. No, it's too inflammatory. Um, that happened to me when I was at University of North Texas. In, in our Texas, we right. had a, a justice for all. Now, now they had a, a pretty inflammatory display. It was a, a um, I think it was a 30-foot-tall um, picture of an aborted pre-born human, a, a fetus. Mm-hmm. And it showed a, a dime to show how small the, the fetus was compared to the uh, remains of the fetus that was removed through an um, extraction abortion. And um, the university said, no, that would cause riots. And I'm like, I'm sorry, we haven't had a riot here since uh, somebody threw a Molotov cocktail in the dorm in the oh, 60s, you know. <laughs> They're not going to cause a riot over this. But um, we did eventually win. The uh, the Catholic Diocese of Fort Worth got on our side and uh, offered some legal support in the university before it even went to a, uh, any legal action, uh, gave us uh, permission to go ahead and have the display. And you know what? It was one of the best times of dialogue. And, yes, some people were offended, and there were some um, abortion um uh, I hate to say survivors because when somebody has an abortion, there's only one survivor out of two, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, but some people, some women that have had an abortion, they were uh, noticeably moved and offended. And um, but we were able to talk to some of them and uh, help them know there's forgiveness available. And it was uh, overall a net positive. We got to embrace the truth rather than, you know, 
hide people from it. And that's what a university should be about. Right. And and being yeah. able to have, like you said, being able to have a dialogue about these issues. Um, there was a list by Students for Life recently of six cases that have happened recently where pro-life groups um, weren't allowed to write on the sidewalks and other groups were. Uh, there was another... Ten minutes. There was another case where um, I was reading one, Students for Life, there was a group that they wanted to bring in a speaker, and they're a student group on campus. Student groups get to receive money to bring in speakers for their for their different groups. They This Students for Life group in uh, at California State University San Marcos was denied $500 in funding to host a visiting speaker, even though the university funds pro-abortion and other favored views with almost $300,000 in students' fee. No. So so they wouldn't let the Students for Life have $500, but they're willing to give pro-abortion groups and other groups $300,000. Well, of course, you know the old trick. They would say, well, this is a matter of women's health, and the other thing is just a sectarian uh, you know, religious preference. Uh, they, they'll say that we have no science on our side. Um, but women's health is something universally supported, and we shouldn't be against it. Uh, right. There, there, there were cases where uh, professors would would prohibit. There was one case where a professor was prohibiting a pro-life group, and not only did uh, he get sued, but he actually is now having to go through First Amendment training. Wow. Because and that, that, ladies and gentlemen, that's why we march. That's why we get to the federal capital. That's why we get to the state capital, and we march at these upcoming events. Right. It's and it's so important. You know, when free speech issues, you want to look at religious liberty issues. I mean, look at the case of Jack Phillips, you know, being forced to bake a cake for something that violated um, his beliefs and really saying something. I mean, when you're baking a wedding cake, that's a part of the ceremony. That's a part of the 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 wedding, um, you know, being able to force someone to be a part of something they don't want to be a, a part of. Obviously, it's a violation of religious convictions, but Obviously. it goes into the free speech issue yeah. as well. And speaking of free speech, uh, there's another there's another important case coming up to the Supreme Court where there's a law in California that is forcing pro-life groups to post information about abortions um, in crisis pregnancy resource centers. And, and many of you know these crisis pregnancy resource centers are there to help counsel these women who are in um, crisis pregnancies and let them know the truth about abortion, but also that there is another alternative to have the child, to allow the child to be adopted. Um, And they're there not just to, for, you know, options. They're there to help this girl every single step of the way through her pregnancy and not just through the pregnancy, but when she has the child, they're giving clothes, they're taking care of her, they're there for her emotionally, um, physically, spiritually. Speaking of women's health, right? Right. Uh, But in California, they're forcing these pro-life groups to give information to refer girls to abortions. Nicole, if they only knew, if they only knew a fetus is just as human as any other, you know, fully born baby outside the womb, if only they can see the scientific facts without something clouding their judgment. 
And, you know, you can chalk it up to spiritual forces or just a cognitive dissonance or just being part of a party that supports that kind of thing. But whatever it is, there's something blinding them. And not only do we need to march, but we need to pray for them and pray for them to see the truth that, um, you know, abortion is murder. It does stop a a literal beating heart. Mm -hmm. And even, you know, speaking of that, so many of these uh, pro-life crisis pregnancy centers, they're there for women who have had abortions. Yes. And and they're there to help those women heal from from that and from the trauma Wonderful. and the distress uh, that it, and the emotional impact that that has on that woman. So these pro-life groups, um, these crisis pregnancy centers should not be forced to do something uh, that violates their beliefs. And so there is a case coming up at the U.S. Supreme Court. On this issue, and our organization is actually going to be um, involved with that. We'll have more updates for you, hopefully next week on that. This is the one in California, right? Right. This okay. is the case in California. Mm-hmm. Yes. But you know what? We actually had a case similar to that right here in Austin. Oh, do tell. There actually, Jonathan was the one who helped. He was on the legal team that helped the Austin Pregnancy Resource Center because the city of Austin passed an ordinance that was going to force APRC to post a big sign in front of the Pregnancy Resource Center. Oh, yes. I remember this now. Yeah. Saying, you know, talking about all kinds of stuff and really totally misconstruing their mission and their purpose. And it was the ordinance was in favor of pro-abortion groups. Mm. And so Jonathan was on the team that sued the city of Austin and they ended up having to pay out, I believe it was $480,000 because of the damages. So... That's a victory. That's a victory. And you know what else? It sets precedence for what's happening at the U.S. Supreme Court on that's, this that's issue. Wonderful. Yeah. So um, really exciting. On on a little bit, uh, speaking of, of good news, we had some good news around Christmas time this year. Do you want to talk about the Christmas victories? Uh, I would love to talk about the Christmas victories. Uh, did you know that we may be winning the war on Christmas? And That's good news. by all indicators, we may have won the war on Christmas. Now, you never know quite until you've won a war until the other side formally surrenders, which we haven't had. <laughs> Nobody's drawn up any papers and the ACLU hasn't come in and, you know, laid down a sword and broke it or anything. You know, But I, I think uh, we're, we're pretty much close to a, 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 at least a ceasefire in the war on Christmas. And <laughs> let me go. explain. This is another Houston Chronicle story. I think this is our special Houston edition here. We talked about, uh, you know, Sarah Davis's district and FEMA. And uh, uh, we are talking about uh, Houston again. The Houston Chronicle, a um, uh, new reporter named Aaron West wrote a story. And I love this title. The head is wonderful. Don't mess with Christmas. Texas Values Organization's mission is to defend the religiousness of the holiday. Well, that's a good way to put it. Yes, and and well, Christmas, Christ Mass. Yeah, it's pretty religious. It, it is. It doesn't have to be. I mean, you can take a religious holiday and uh, you know just celebrate it neutrally. It's possible, but for some people, even that's offensive. So think about that. And we've certainly had cases where um, we've had to jump in and defend just a, a secular expression of Christmas. Um, the story starts out, you know, a, a lead sentence in a story where they have they have something clever to say in the story, and it's the first line and kick off the new story. I love the way the lead sentence kicks the story off. It says, uh, "Tisn't the season to mess with Christmas." <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Would you mess with Christmas, Nicole? No, no. <laughs> no. And as a matter of fact, I remember my history professor in college specifically talked about how um, the timeline or basically the timeline of history. You know, we have B.C. and A.D., B.C. before Christ, mm. A.D. Anno Domini or af- in, year the, year, of our Lord. in mm. the year of our Lord. Well, she talked about how 
uh, that was based on the birth of Christ was where where the um, BC meets AD and, and goes into AD. What's interesting though is is historians have tried to turn it into BC and then I believe it's now uh, BCE. BCE, yeah. There's a few other variants too. BC but to it's BCE. Ridiculous. But yeah. you know what she pointed out before the common era. Yeah. Before the common era, that's right. that's what it is. Um, so at the you still where it meets is right. The only major historical uh, happening was that Jesus was born. So they're still basing it around the birth of Christ. Oh, it's ridiculous. They're just trying not to say it. Right. And we, we have a long way to go on that. I think we will always constantly be struggling against powers and principalities. I mean, Scripture tells us as much. We, we know that as, as believers here. But um, uh, I want to tell you what the Houston Chronicle thinks about what we're doing here. Uh, I'll read it real quick. Uh, the organization's Merry Christmas Texas Project, which is, which is our project, mm-hmm. Merry Christmas Texas, considers itself a frontline defender in the so-called War on Christmas. Uh, they're gearing up for another month of Christmas time conflict. And this is written about um, December 15th or thereabouts. Every year around this time, the project staff members try to educate Texans about what their rights are in regard to religious themed holiday expressions in public spaces, particularly in public schools. And Jonathan Sines, our illustrious president, was quoted um, as long as people continue to attack Christmas. And as long as government officials continue to try to unfairly and illegally restrict First Amendment rights of private individuals when it comes to Christmas, Texas values will be right there leading the charge to defend their rights. <laughs> Amen. And the, 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 if you read the story, it admits we haven't had any complaints. Nobody contacted the Merry Christmas Texas Project this year and complained. So we're going to take that as a victory. Maybe there's some we didn't hear about, but, I mean, no news is good news. Right, Nicole? Right, right. And yeah. you can actually find out more about the Merry Christmas project at txvalues.org. That's txvalues.org. We encourage you to go to our website. Andy, it has been so much fun having you on the show. Well, thank you. And we encourage our listeners to tune in next week to the Texas Values Report. Unfortunately, we got to sign off now, but hopefully we'll be back. <laughs> we'll be back soon. Look for us on Twitter uh, for TX Values and TX Values Action. Look for us on Facebook and use the hashtag winning. Winning. There you go. <laughs> Thanks so much for tuning in, and Jonathan Sun should be in the chair next week.